0: All right, so we're continuing in the book of Romans here. The Apostle Paul is continuing his talk about grace. On the first five chapters, we discussed in the last episode that Paul was moving from teaching about law that was given to Israel as the method of getting to God and replacing that with the pure, unadulterated grace. Of Jesus Christ the message given to the Apostle Paul by the glorified Jesus Christ. So in chapter 6 here um, actually, let's move to chapter 7 where Paul is actually discussing his own situation and his own struggle with sin. What is going to save him from his own sin? Well, let's read here in chapter 7 starting with verse 15 and on through verse 20. It says, I know not for not what I will This I am putting into practice, but what I am hating, this I am doing. Now, if what I am not willing, this I am doing, I am conceding that the law is ideal. Yet now it is no longer I who am affecting it, but sin making its home in me. For I am aware that good is not making its home in me, that is in my flesh. For to will is lying beside me, yet to be affecting the ideal is not. For it is not the good that I will that I am doing, but the evil that I'm not willing. This I am putting into practice. Now, if what I am not willing, this I am doing, it is no longer I who am affecting it, but sin, which makes its home in me. Okay, now there's a lot there. And for a very long time, I was confused on just what Paul was getting at there. But after years of studying it's pretty clear that he is saying that he's struggling with sin and what he wants to do, what he knows is right, he cannot do. And the stuff that he knows is bad, that he wants to avoid, that's the things that he's doing. So he's struggling with sin. And that's our struggle today. If we're honest, a lot of the things that you know are right, the feelings you're supposed to have, the things you're supposed to do, the love you're supposed to have for those around you, It's difficult to achieve. You want to do it, but sin is always there. I know it is, in my life anyway, that everything I try to do, every good thing, um, my sin is always there. It's before me always, like the psalmist said. Um, I'm not sure what psalm it was. Read the book of Psalms, You'll, you'll find it. But the psalmist said that his sin is always before me. And That's the way I feel. Anything I I try to do that's good, it seems like sin has been there. It's been in the neighborhood. It knows all the back streets. It knows how to trip me up. And somehow it weaves its way into everything I do to somehow make it selfish. That's my struggle with sin. I think the Apostle Paul, though, you know, he carries a lot more weight and did a lot more for the Lord than, you know, I could ever hope to do. I think that was part of his struggle—that he wanted to do right. He knew it was right in his in his spirit, but his flesh couldn't deliver, and that's the the um, the disconnect there between sin and our flesh and our spirit. So, what does Paul say is going to save him from this this sin that is always before him? Doing the things that he doesn't want to do. Not being able to do the things he wants to do. Well, he answers that. It's not acting right. It's not following the law. It's not doing good deeds. It's not practicing prayer. It's not um, believing. It's not this. It's not that. He says specifically, what will rescue me out of this body of death? And he says with an exclamation point grace grace is going to save you not your own actions of coming over sin it's to understand that sin is a part of you sin is a part of the flesh and the only way to overcome that sin is by grace there's nothing you can do of yourself to earn it and remember the grace that we receive is unmerited the very definition of grace is favor the favor of god on people who do not deserve it so how do we get out of this body of sin we got out of it by grace. And the contrast here is that the flesh cannot please God. It's only the spirit that can please God. First, we have this fleshly body. Then when we're resurrected, we're going to have a spiritual body. First comes the flesh, the contrast, the bad part, and then comes the good part, the spirit. So the flesh, the Bible says, cannot please God. And following laws and trying to act right and do right is a work of the flesh. If you're trying to do it of your own power or any decision you think you make of your free will to get to God is an act of flesh. And that that act and and the flesh itself cannot please God. It's only by believing Jesus Christ in the spirit that we can please God. So that was Paul's statement and what he was getting at, I believe, in chapter 7. And then moving on to chapter 8 in Romans, it goes on to talk about those of us who come to a realization that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all mankind and that he is indeed sovereign and makes the choices, makes every choice for every single person that has ever lived on this planet. He is sovereign and he controls the most intimate detail of each and every heart, the most intimate detail of each and every situation for the Psalmist says that he created our inmost being and he formed all the days of our lives before one of them came to be. Those days were written in his book, which means they're set in stone. Everything you do Everything you don't do, every sin, every good act was planned by God for you to walk in before you were even born. God is in charge. He has an ultimate plan, and he's going to bring that plan through Jesus Christ to completion. And the completed plan, which we're going to talk about later in Corinthians, is God being all things to all of his creatures and every single creature that has ever lived being home with God. But for now, we're talking about the people in this life that come to a realization that Jesus is indeed the Savior, and they have done nothing on their part to earn that salvation. It is a gift of pure grace. So those people have a special salvation. And Paul, I believe, hits on this here in chapter 8. He says, starting with verse 18, For I am reckoning that the sufferings of the current era do not deserve The glory about to be revealed for us. For the premonition of the creation is waiting the unveiling of the sons of God. All right, so this is talking about all creation here. We're not talking about the body of Christ or those chosen by God. This is all of creation are waiting for the unveiling of the sons of God. The sons of God are the people that came to a realization that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world and that God is indeed sovereign. For to vanity was the creation subjected, not voluntarily. So the creation didn't do this themselves. We don't experience this evil and do these selfish things on our own, but because of him who subjects it, who subjects us, who subjects creation to vanity, pain and evil. It is God because of him, capital H who subjects it, the creation. So God is subjecting his creation to vanity in expectation that the creation itself also shall be freed from the slavery of corruption into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So eventually all of creation will come to this realization and be a child of God. That's every single creature, every man, woman, and child, every demon, every spiritual being, Satan himself, will be delivered into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we are aware, now Paul is talking about believers who believe now, are aware that the entire creation is groaning and travailing together until now. Yet not only so, but we ourselves also who have the first fruit of the Spirit. So Paul is saying those who believe now have the first fruit of the Spirit. We ourselves are also groaning in ourselves awaiting the sonship, the deliverance of our body. So I want to pause here just for a second. And talk a little bit about what Paul is saying here. Because it has huge implications to religion and what people believe. Because very few people believe this. But this is the truth spoken of by the Apostle Paul. And he speaks about it consistently. So there is a select group of people that believe Jesus Christ. They believe that he died for the salvation of the whole world, and there's nothing that a human being can do to add to it or take away from it. Nothing a human being can do to get it or to lose it. It's a fact. Jesus did it. If you come to a realization of this, you understand the sovereignty of God, and you can only do that if Jesus chose you. If he chose you from the beginning then you are a member of the body of Christ and you will be part of this creation that has the first fruits. You will be resurrected first. You will be snatched away before Jesus ever comes for Israel. You will be with Jesus and you will be his complement. You will be helping bring the heavens and all the demons and beasts and angels and Satan himself. You will be a part of bringing and reconciling them back to Jesus Christ. So you are the first fruits if you believe this. But this these verses in chapter 8 18 through 25 are saying that this group will be revealed and then through this group the rest of creation that's all creation will be freed from sin and come into the glorious freedom of being sons of God, sons and daughters of God. So a small group is selected to be saved first. That's whoever Jesus gives belief to in this life. They will be snatched away and they will be a part of bringing all of creation back to God so that God will be all in all and will be all things to all of his creatures. That is what this is saying here. That creation is groaning for that. But the first fruits, the people who believe that Jesus Christ is indeed what he said he was, we're also groaning. We're groaning because we still live in a body of sin. Even though we know these glorious truths, we still sin because we're still living as flesh. We have that spirit in us, and eventually that will be released when we die Or if we're snatched away, whichever comes first. But when we're resurrected, that will be gone. That fleshly part. And all that will be left is the spiritual. And we'll get our new spiritual bodies. But we are groaning for the deliverance of our body. For to expectation, this is verse 24, were we saved. Now expectation being observed is not expectation for what anyone is observing. Why is he expecting it? Now, if we are expecting what we are not observing, we are waiting it with endurance. So we are expecting this deliverance. We don't have it yet, but we know through the faith that Jesus Christ gave us that we will have that. So in conclusion, um, in Romans 8, 28 through 30, it's just a, uh, Reinforcement of the fact that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. It says that also to be conformed to the image of his son. For him to be the firstborn among many brethren. Now when he designates beforehand. So he designates beforehand. He chooses who will be saved. These he calls also. And whom he calls then he justifies also. Now whom he justifies these he glorifies also. So it's God That does all of these things. He chooses beforehand. He calls. He justifies. And then he glorifies. It's all a process. Yes, we go through a process. But it's a process that God controls. At each and every point. So in in closing Romans 8. And I want to get to Romans 9. Because that is is loaded with just driving home the fact that God is sovereign and that he does what he wants with the people of this earth. So if you have a question about God controlling all aspects of human beings in life, I encourage you to watch my next part um, or listen to my next part in Romans 9. It'll be Romans part 3. Um, but what I want you to get out of this here is that in chapter 8, God calls certain people to believe right now, he gives them that faith. And that through those people, Jesus will use that small group to save all of humanity and indeed all of creation. For it's through the death, entombment and resurrection of Jesus Christ with no contribution at all from any human being That every single man, woman, and child will one day be saved and come into the glorious freedom of being a son or daughter of God because of Jesus Christ.